You are listening to the Grace Church Podcast. To learn more about Grace, including our gathering times, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Tommy Jones. It's exciting times, guys. I have a lot of energy today, and I'll tell you why. Uh, It's because the more divided the world gets and the more angry uh, people get at each other, the more I see the need for what we're doing in here. The more I see the need for unity, the more I see the need for us to be a voice of of peace and joy in the world, wherever you are, whatever thing, okay. But as far as our role in the world, like, I think we have a role to minister to the broken, to reach out to the brokenhearted. And the more people feel disenfranchised or angry or divided, the more important this becomes that we unite around something that's greater than ourselves, and that's Jesus the Christ. And so I feel like what we're doing in this place right now may be more important than it has ever been, uh, because now is the time for us to go be peacemakers. And what that looks like for you, you can figure it out, but I can tell you what it doesn't look like, Facebook. All right, there's that. Um, yes. So we're, we're in the book of John right now, and we're, we're strolling through this together, and I've enjoyed it, and I hope you have. We've actually got this week and next week left, uh, and these are my two favorite chapters of John. And then we're going to go into a study on Ephesians, which is a super cool book, too. So, uh, But what we've seen is Jesus asks a lot of his followers, Right? He's got these guys who are following them, and he's like, first he just says, follow me. So they just quit their jobs, and they follow him. And then he'll say things like, you know, I want you to lay down your life for me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Or or he'll say, and we saw last week where he said, I want you to love others as I have loved you. I want you to love them as I have loved you. I want you to wash the stinking feet of the people you disagree with the most in this world. Those are pretty tough things to ask somebody to do, aren't they? And, and I think most of us, if we've been doing life with Christ for any length of time, there's, there's been a point where we've probably had a tough conversation with him. When he asked us to do something that we weren't really thrilled about. Uh, you guys, I, I had a job before this one. Uh, I worked in marketing and advertising and public relations, doing, uh, working for medical device. And y'all know the commercials that say possible side effects include kidney disease, paralysis. We made those commercials. Uh, so that was my job. I mean, the commercials with the side effects deals. And one day I realized that I wasn't supposed to do that and that I was supposed to be a pastor. And, and God was like, okay, I want you to quit this job. Uh, you know, don't worry about money anymore. Give your house away and move to Sardis. And I was like, this is literally the worst plan I've ever heard in my entire life. And so God and I entered this little time of a struggle against each other because my first thought was everything I'm going to lose, right? All the things I'm going to have to give up, which seemed to me like it was going to be everything. And maybe you've had a conversation with God like that, where he comes to you and he says, hey, I want you to do this. And your first thought is, what am I going to lose? Like, I've been having some conversations with um, some young adults about their dating life, which is super fun. These people will talk to me. Kids would trust me with these conversations. And sometimes we come to the conclusion that maybe you should be single right now. Right. That's usually the response. That maybe, maybe it's not time today. Maybe it's time for a year of, of being single or a year of, and then maybe later God will lead you to something. But man, asking an 18, 19 year old kid to be single for a year or so, you would think I had literally taken their car or their phone. Like it is just panic on their eyes. And it's, it's the same. I mean, if God has a conversation with you about your money or your job or about your relationship or about maybe God wants you to move or do something or stay or whatever it is we always automatically think about what we're going to lose. Because when we're talking to God about something, we are always thinking about the moment that we can see. Because that's all we can see, is the moment we can see. 
But when God is talking to us about something, he is thinking about all the moments we can't see. When God is talking to us about a moment, he's thinking about forever. And we don't see that. Last week, I challenged you to wash the feet of the people you disagreed with the most. I wish I had saved that sermon for this week because I really feel like it would still be good. But like, I mean, how hard is that to do, especially right now? And we want to go and we want to say and we want to celebrate or we want to complain or whatever when God may be just calling us to wash the feet of someone who disagrees with us. And that is so hard for us to do because all we can see is the moment. We can't see forever. But God sees life on a different spectrum. And so when God says, trust me, he's not just asking you to trust him with the moment. He's asking you to trust him with forever. But he's a God who sees forever. And that's why I love this part of John, John 14. I think, once again, God's timing is so gorgeous. So he's asked his disciples, he's like, listen, uh, follow me, lay down your lives, all these things, you know, love them as I've loved you. And they are freaked out, just like you would be if God asked you for something that you did not want to give. And so Jesus says this in John 14, guys, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. All right, so what he's saying here is, guys, I know you're thinking about the moment, but trust me because I'm preparing a place for you in the future. I'm working on something for you in the future. I'm working on something better. And I know you can't see it now, but I am preparing a place for you in my father's house. I'm working on your forever while we're talking about your moment. And that's hard. You guys, um, did any of y'all get to travel when you were kids to hotels? Anybody remember that? Guys, if I don't get more audience participation in this, honestly, I'm just going to sit here and cry. <laughs> did y'all want to see me cry over nothing? Did any of y'all go to hotels when you were kids? This is, thank you. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. All right. So, so for... for what was the two things you were always excited about when you were traveling as a kid with the hotel? What's number one? The pool. Always the pool. And a kid will swim in a 12-degree pool, right? You are so excited. What's the other thing you're excited about? The room. The pool and the room. And I don't know what kind of rooms y'all were getting, but my daddy wasn't rich. So we, we weren't getting like, it wasn't the penthouse. We were getting a room that was probably a rectangle that was like about the size of the Shelby County place where I stayed for a few days. Just a little bitty... <laughs> A little bitty rectangle, right? You kind of walked around like this, and there was a television and a microwave and a refrigerator maybe, you know, and if your parents left the room for a minute, you might have figured out you had free HBO. I mean, it was nothing. It was nothing. But yet you were so excited about that room, and there was one bed, or maybe there was two, or maybe you went on a honeymoon. Let's just, maybe you went on a honeymoon, right? And you were really excited about your room. Maybe it had a little jacuzzi tub, or a heart-shaped bed. Or, I'm not allowed to talk about this stuff because people say I go too far. But y'all know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I'm not going to go too far this time, but y'all know what I'm saying. Fun things happen in honeymoon rooms. That's it. That's all I'm going to say because I'm not going to go too far anymore. I told him I wouldn't keep doing that because it makes people uncomfortable. So, but y'all know what I'm saying. Like, you're excited about the room. And then Jesus, the king of the whole world, says, I'm preparing a room for you, and we don't even think about it again. And, and the more I think about the hotel room or my honeymoon room or whatever hotel room I've ever stayed in, the more I realize the person who prepared that room for me, you know what, I can almost assure you, they didn't know me. They didn't care about me. 
They weren't worried about me. They weren't thinking about me. And then the king of the world says, I'm preparing a room for you. And he knows your fears. He knows your hopes. He knows your desires. He knows your sins. He knows your dreams. He knows that thing you're hiding. He knows the thing you're not hiding. He knows everything. And he says, I'm preparing for your future. And we go, yeah, okay. It just doesn't mean anything to us for, for some reason, even though the king of the world has prepared forever for us. But if, if we could begin to think about our momentary things in light of forever, I think it would change the way we handled the momentary things. If you, if you understood that your forever is provided for and that God, then, then if he asked you to abstain or to go or to do or to give or to serve, whatever in the moment, it would look different if you had an eternal perspective. But it's hard for us. It's hard for us. Now, it was hard for his disciples, too. In verse 5, this is so funny. Jesus has just said, I'm preparing a place for you. I'm taking you to my father's house. And look what Thomas says. Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Just like, I'm, I'm preparing a place for you in my father's house. And Thomas goes, well, where, where is that? Like, how do we get there? Would I take the camel or the donkey? Um, turn right by the cactus? Will we need a vaccine card? I'm, I'm really confused on exactly what this is. And Jesus is like, oh, gosh. And so then, here it is, guys. The coolest passage in the Bible, 18,000.0. 6, verse 6, listen to this. Jesus answered. They say, we don't know where we're going, we don't know the way. And Jesus says what? I am the way. Am the way. How cool is that? Dropped his microphone and just did this. <laughs> I am the way. I'm the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus said, don't you know me? Philip, even after all this time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I am the Father? I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe the evidence of what you've seen me do. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. This is amazing. So Jesus says, for, for those who will have this perspective of understanding that I'm going to take care of your tomorrow, you're going to trust me today, and, and you're going to understand that you're going to do even greater things than I have ever done. If you'll abide in me, Remember when Jesus said, drink my, drink my blood and eat my flesh? What he's saying is, be with me, abide in me, trust me, walk with me, stay. Guys, Jesus does not show you the way. He is the way. Jesus doesn't give you a map. He is the map. He doesn't, he's not taking you on a journey. He is the journey. He is everything. And he says, for people who will understand this and surrender their whole lives to me, then I will provide for you no matter what I ask you to give up along the way. If you trust me, I will lead you to a life that is abundant abundantly better than anything you could ever have on your own. Just trust me. You do even greater things. Don't you think when Jesus said you'll do even greater things than me, they were like, I don't, I don't think so. I saw you make wine at that party, and I can't do that. Or I saw you feed the 5,000 people with the one, you know, little Captain D's mildew. Or I, I saw you bring that one dude back to life, and I'm like 97% sure I can't do that. And so they're thinking there's no way we're going to do greater things than you. But do you know why you know about Jesus in this room? When Jesus was alive, he was in a very small region, right? A very small area of the world proportionally. Since he died and resurrected and came back to life, 
the gospel has left Israel and gone all around the entire world. Millions and millions of people have been transformed by the gospel. Even in this room, more, more and more people come in, and you tell more and more people, it's transforming, it's moving out. Generations of people have come to know Jesus because greater things have been done. He's always telling the truth. And so we get all that. Here, here's the issue. When we begin to think about forever and the Father and all this kind of stuff and my Father's house, it's really, really hard for us to think about that because we don't think about dying very much. I mean, it's, okay, great. When I'm dead, that sounds like it's going to be good, which is what it sounds like saying. When, when you're dead, everything's going to be taken care of. Y'all, I'm not knocking old hymns. Uh, well, in this service, it won't matter too much. In 830, I would not ever knock old hymns. <laughs> but, like, it seems like the majority of old hymns, the point of it is, when I get to heaven, then it'll be good. Right? When I cross that bridge, then it'll be good. When I'm finally home, then it'll be good. It's like, is that really what life is? That we just kind of muddle through this thing and then we die and it gets better? Because if that's my big motivation, then it's going to be hard for me to experience abundant life because I literally almost never, ever think about my death. Maybe you think about yours a lot. I think about mine two times. When I'm flying, always convinced I'm going to die. And one time I had to ride in Clarissa's car to Emmaus, and I knew for a fact I was going to die. Ronnie, you'll vouch for that. Like, she is great with your kids, but don't put them in her car because that woman cannot drive. Like, I knew, I knew I was going to die then. Uh, but like, other than those circumstances, I'm rarely ever just sitting around going, man, I'm, is this the day? And I just kind of get up and go and do, right? And so the reason we don't ever think about this tomorrow thing is because none of us really think we're going to die. And God knew this. He knew this. Like he, he knew, he's like, okay, I'm going to tell them about this room I'm creating for them, but that's not going to be enough motivation for them because rarely are they going to sit around and go, man, once I'm dead. And so he goes, I've got something else. So he makes us this first promise, and the first promise is I'm preparing a place for you with me. That's the first promise. But then he makes a second promise, and here it is in, in, in verse 15. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, he want to make sure you know that. He said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not the world? And Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching." My Father will love them, and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Okay, so he says there's going to come a day, all right, where you're going to come be with me in my Father's house. And that, that day is coming. But between this day and that day, I'm sending you something. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to be with me because I'm coming to you to make my home in you. I'm sending you my spirit. He says, my peace I give you. What I hear is a piece of me I give you. He gives us his spirit. His spirit is alive in us right now. 
And I think that's hard for the world to believe sometimes because I think it's hard for you to believe sometimes. Can you imagine what church would look like and feel like if everyone in the room believed the Holy Spirit was actually alive in them in that moment? Neither can I. <laughs> but I want to. I want to see it. I want to know it. I want to understand what it would truly feel like if everyone in the room believed that the, the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave was alive inside of them. And we're just waiting to go to heaven to experience abundant life. Abundant life is happening in me now. And so anything God asks me to do is worth doing. And I don't have to do it on my own power because the spirit of God is in me. Because th this is what the world needs to see from us. And this is what's missing in the church is living with a view of tomorrow, but living full of life today because the Spirit is in us now. And so this is why there's such division in the world. This is why the government has to legislate things that should have never been the government's problem. It's our job to do these things. It's our job to love people. It's our job to model compassion. It's our job to take care of people. It's our job to do the things the church was created to do. But until we believe we're full of the Spirit, we're just going to keep coming to church and going right back in the world and looking just like the rest of the world. Do you realize the Spirit of God is in you? If you do, what difference has it made in your life this week? Have you risked anything? Did it, I mean, did you walk across the room at any point during the week to wash the feet of someone who looked completely different than you or thought completely different? Because let me tell you, this is a great time to do it. Again, I don't know if y'all know, but the world is very divided. Have you, have you taken the time to, to maybe reach out to someone who's hurting, even, even though maybe your side lost or your side won? I don't know. what. But did, did you take the time to reach out to someone else who might be hurting? What have we done to use the Spirit of God inside of us? Have we risked anything? Now, I, th I think it's why some people get so bored with church. I'm convinced of this. I think church isn't working. No, church is working. You're just not letting the Spirit of God work in you. And we've all been in these phases. We've all been in these places where we're just dry spiritually. You know the way to get out of that phase? To do something that ignites a passion in you again. I know Christy and I are having a lot of conversations right now about what's going to happen in our home, um, you know, because of what's going on in the world. And, and we're talking about, you know, opening our house and being more connected to safe families, uh, helping to take care of, of, of mothers and babies and doing the right things and, and partnering with places like Soaring Wings and doing the right things. And I, I, the last thing I'm going to ever do is just go post things on Facebook about this or that. And it doesn't matter and it doesn't change the world. What changes the world is when Christians look different from the world around them. When we go out there and do, remember, the world is always expecting a response from the church. What if we gave them something different this time? What if we gave them a response they didn't expect? What if we became more empathetic, more kind, more loving, more willing to go the extra mile? Until then, I... someone else will continue having to do our job. John 3, 5, this is so clear. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Um, do, you, do you know what that means, must be born of water and spirit? Raise your hand if you're a lady in the room. It's okay. Oh, look, happy you raised your hands in church for the first time. <laughs> it was fun. Right? It's very liberating. Um, have y'all had a baby? Some of you ladies have had a baby. Was there water present? 
I can tell you there was. I saw my wife have a baby, and it was gross. And I was, <laughs> no, really, I was more, I don't know how she felt, but I was in great pain being in that room. I didn't have time to focus on her because, y'all, I was just, it was hard for me to deal with it. But I mean, there's water present, right? There's water present when a baby, and, but then there must be another thing that happens. You must also be reborn spiritually. And if you're reborn spiritually, that means you've given your life to Christ, and it means the Holy Spirit is in you. And just like when, when you came into the world, you look different, right? When you're reborn spiritually, you should look different than the world. And so, again, I, I think one of the problems in and why the government is because we don't look any different than the world. Because we don't think eternally and we don't live spiritually. We're all in this moment and all of our feels and all of our hopes are caught up in exactly what's in front of us. And if that's our attitude, what hope do they have? And so the challenge this week is, since everyone accepted last week's challenge, here's a new one. What would it look like to live every moment this week as if you understood that moment was not your forever? What would it look like? How many pointless arguments would you get into with people on social media or otherwise if you realized that moment was not your forever? What, what, what would you do different? If you really had an idea that thy kingdom is coming and thy kingdom has come already through me, that I am in this world and my highest obligation is not to be a Republican, it's not to be a Democrat, my highest obligation in this world is to make disciples and live as a kingdom person. And if that's not my highest obligation, I should quit calling myself a Christian. What would it look like? It's hard. It's challenging. But this is how we change the world. Guys, we're not here to push forward political agendas. We're here to make disciples. And when we do that, everything else will take care of itself, I promise. So this week, measure your words. Measure your words. This week, measure your responses. There is a hurting world. And what they need from the church is not I told you so. What they need from the church is I will walk with you no matter what. I love you. I'm here with you. I stand beside you. Whether we agree or disagree, I love you. Guys, tonight we're going to baptize around 14 or 15 people in this tank. Yeah, amen. And, and, and do, you, do you know what I know? I know some of them aren't going to feel about life or about whatever passion you have the same way you feel. I believe that. If we're baptizing 14 people, odds are there's going to be multiple different opinions, even about your strongest political passion, right? What, what, if, what would it look like to the world if we baptized these people tonight and the room was full? That it was full. I'm saying standing room only. And what would it look like to the world if, if when we baptized someone, even if they had a different opinion on something than you, when that person came up out of the water, you went nuts. Like, oh, yeah, like the Razorbacks had just won everything. Like you're absolutely going nuts. Regardless of what they believe, what you know they need is Jesus Christ. And so we're united in this, and we are one in this. And what if through baptism night, what we experienced was a church that was united, not around a political movement, but around the blood of Christ for the world? far are you willing to go? Baptism is at four o'clock. I guess we'll find out. <laughs> the world is waiting for the church to respond. What will our response look like? Let me pray. If you are encouraged by today's message, 
be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at thegracechurch.net. And again, thanks for listening to the Grace Church Podcast.